Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to J.L. Caston about her novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about starting to write in middle school, plotting your story with your family, even if you stray from the outline, researching and querying, fighting for what you want in your story, building a community for authors and all the resources they need, making sure your story stays unique to your own ideas, and being sensitive to other people when you're writing your story. An Amulet of Stars and Fire an ancient order, a hidden enemy, a dormant magic awakens. An annual family trip to Scotland becomes a catalyst that shatters everything Loralee thought she knew and sets her life plan ablaze. Magic ran through her veins, and she was born to lead. Not that anyone bothered to tell her that. The power within her should be enough to deter any threat, if only she knew how to use it. Her family hid the truth in hopes of keeping her and her brother safe, knowing some would do anything to control them. Instead, they may have made them sitting targets. How much longer can they be kept a secret? And can they learn to wield the power they were born with before the truth is revealed? So this show, or my podcast, is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that is fairy tales in two ways. Fairy tales are something that we either read or listened to or watched movies of as kids, and also the journey for you to spend weeks, months, years writing your book to finally get to hold that in your hands is also a fairy tale for you. So I like to start off with... Is there a favorite fairy tale or short story that you liked as a kid? And did that favorite change as you got older? Oh, um, so I was a Disney kid, as most people born in the 80s were. Right. Uh, I think Sleeping Beauty was my go-to for a good number of years. Um, And then I think once I got older... I transitioned to more uh, adult themes, I guess you could say, Greek mythology, um, Arthurian legend, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And is there any particular um, of the older stories that you like really focused on or just kind of all of them in general? Um, I went through a period where I was absolutely obsessed with Egyptian and Greek mythology uh, in middle school, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to kind of figure out what age I was by where I was living (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I was in Germany then so I'm pretty sure it was middle school start of middle school Um, and we had a unit on Egyptian mythology and I don't know if they still do it in school but we actually like mummified a chicken wow 
yeah like it was like you put the, you dry it out you put salt all over it you wrap it and it stays for 90 days and then we got to see the mummification process it was really really cool that's got to be a germany thing because i don't think that happens over here (laughs) well i was in uh department of defense schools so i was an army brat um and i'm sorry if i offend anyone with that term that's a term that everybody uses entire life um my mom always but, says she was a Navy brat, so. <laughs> yeah, it's very common language for those of us who grew up in the military, right. uh, with military families. Um, but I know that it has come under some scrutiny lately. Um, but for me, that's that's how I identify as being an Army brat. Um, so, yeah, DOD schools, we did we did a lot of things that I don't think. <laughs> I don't Normal think schools? schools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, no, that that was a lot of fun and it really made me like just fall in love with all things ancient Egypt for many years. Um, and then that kind of funneled its way into Greek mythology as I got into high school and we start reading, you know, the Odyssey and, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things. Um, and then right as I was leaving high school, I started to really focus on specifically, um, the Mists of Avalon, which is a series of books that I am still to this day obsessed with and absolutely love. <laughs> um, and it, it's very focused on the women of Arthurian legend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a retelling of, you know, their, their power and their leadership and the role that they played in these myths. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and then I wrote my own Arthurian retelling. So, <laughs> so let's get into that. So <laughs> at, at what age did you think, hey, I might want to be a writer or did you start writing or like when when did that oh. kind of start? Um, so I have a like a core memory of being, I don't know, six or seven years old. I was living in Kentucky at the time. So I had to be elementary school mm-hmm. um, and I had one of those. Do you remember? I don't know how old you are, but we had these plastic Fisher Price like picnic table things Mm -hmm. that every child had. I had one. And I distinctly have this memory of sitting down and making like a picture book when I was probably six or seven years old um, and making my mom read it. And I don't know what happened to it, but we moved around (laughs) a lot. So I'm sure it got lost in some move. Um, <laughs> my childhood yeah. book was about our guinea pigs and my mom preserved it and I now own it <laughs> oh I love that we didn't say much every every move was a new way to purge everything we owned so right, right. Uh, I not not a lot carried with me but um I didn't I, I didn't really write a lot um until middle school um a lot of sappy, angsty teenage love poem stuff that I would be right. ridiculously mortified if anyone read now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then again, after high school, um, I tried to sit down and write and I struggled a lot with like, well, what, what do I want to say? What's the story that I want to tell? Right. Where do I start? How do I start? Um, and it kind of got pushed on the back burner for a long time. I joined the army myself. Um, life happened. I had children. Um, I am disabled now from the military and 
was in a really, really, really dark place and thought to myself, what am I going to do with myself now? Like I went from being super active and a medic and being in the thick of everything all the time and go, 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 go to now being someone who has to, you know, think about what's the weather like, what's the conditions like, how can I control my environment so that I can participate? Mm -hmm. Um, And writing really pulled me out of that. I sat down one day, I was just like, at the bottom of the barrel and didn't know how to pull myself out and just sat down. And I was like, we just watched a Doctor Who marathon, me and my children. Okay. (laughs) And I was like, it would be really fun to write a time travel series. And my kids were like, oh, that would be cool. How would you write it? And we sat down at the dining room table and came up with like all of these ideas and plot points and all of these things. And I sat down to write it and it looks nothing at all like what we came up with. (laughs) But (laughs) that was the jumping point. The jumping point was I watched Doctor Who and was like, oh, let me write a time travel thing. And now it's an Arthurian portal fantasy. So... (laughs) You're actually my second portal fantasy <laughs> author I've interviewed. It seems to be uh, a little, a, a bit of a trend coming back. Um, it, it, I've seen quite a few authors who are doing portal things or time travel things, and I'm mm-hmm. doing my, both. Like mine is an Arthurian retelling portal time traveling fantasy, um, and I've seen a lot of this like similar themes. And I'm going, are we like? are we all connected in the dream world somehow? Yes. And like, we're, all getting these, <laughs> we're all getting these same messages. Like, why is everyone writing similar things? I mean, <laughs> look at um, Hades and Persephone. How many Hades and Persephone books do we have right now? I mean, there's, there's so many, I can't even count them. And every single one of them has like cult like followings. Every single one is unique and different right. in its own. Um. But I, I definitely think that literature tends to kind of run in trends. Mm-hmm. It does. And you'll see, you know, every 10 to 20 years, they all, you know, come back around. Same with the cover styles and like everything yeah. always comes back around. <laughs> yeah. Now, it may be more updated because like an 80s font style cover is going to be different from a today's <laughs> font style cover. But yeah. uh, they, it all comes back around. <laughs> so... You guys are sitting at your kitchen table plotting out this book. And then how long did it take you to actually take from the outline to completing the first draft? Oh, so that took three years. But I don't think I wrote at all for about a year and a half. Um, I hit a point where there was a lot of personal stuff going on and I just kind of pushed it aside I'll come back to it later um mm-hmm. moved again because apparently it's hard for me to stay in one place <laughs> <laughs> uh so we moved again and then when the pandemic hit I um I was like you know I things have slowed down I have time I can sit down again and and try to write this because I had written like 17 chapters in a week like I mean it just was so fast mm-hmm. uh, And then it inevitably slowed down. And I'm not, I think maybe if I were more organized, it, it might help things. Um, as far as knowing where things are going, but I wrote book two with a rough outline and I found it actually 
more difficult for my brain to get into the story because I knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. So I have to somewhere find that happy plots or medium where I have right. a general idea, but I haven't outlined every big event because then my brain gets bored. So you need to be more like a discovery. Yes, I definitely uh, write by discovery. And even with book two, uh, it was, I had this outline and I had, I mean, pages on pages and every single thing that needed to happen in the book. And I had it written down. Um, and it looks nothing like that either. Every time I try to outline something, it ends up being different. So drastically <laughs> different outline. So I'm like, well, I guess it's a starting point. Um, <laughs> but that the first book took the longest. It did take a long time. But then the prequel book I wrote in six weeks, seven weeks. Okay. Uh, and then I wrote Dragonbound, which was for an anthology and is now um, free with my newsletter. And that one is like just a novella length. And I wrote that in two weeks. Um, so I'm getting quicker. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> it took you three years to write the first draft. And then what did you do once you had that first draft? So I finished that first draft in November of 2020. And I immediately um, bought all of the books on how you query and how you find an agent and who to message and email and send letters and manuscripts to. And mm -hmm. I queried for a couple of months, um, realized that that process was going to take the better part of a decade and found TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Where all of your publishing dreams come true. <laughs> um, if you're good. <laughs> Yeah, there is a ton of resources on TikTok. And yes. the majority of the authors on TikTok are so willing and open with information and are willing to help and are willing to point you in the direction of resources and, and where you do things that I just was like, you know, I don't know that I want to take that long to publish this. I right. feel, I, I know myself and I know if it takes... 10 to 15 years to publish, I'm, I'm not going to keep going. I don't even think that's a you thing. I think that's just a human thing. It's, I mean, and I know there are people who have done it and more power to them. I, they amaze me. The perseverance and dedication that that takes to just wade through and keep pushing and pushing and pushing until it's published is amazing. I have nothing but admiration for those authors um I think they're just superhuman almost um but I know my brain and right. my brain I, I would not have continued I would have seen it as something that was taking up a lot of time um and pulling me away from my family and my children and the things that they do um and it wasn't going to be seen by anyone. So I knew that that wasn't going to be something that was going to be beneficial for me. Right. Um, so I self-published. So I did not realize you started self-published because I ran into you because you were talking about issues with your publisher. So how did yeah. that happen? <laughs> like, how did you, if you self-published, how did you then end up with a publisher? Yes. Um, so that's, that seems to be more of a trend lately. Um, Authors are self-publishing and then publishers, agents, and, and the like are finding them that way, mm -hmm. um, which is what happened to me. I self-published. 
Um, I made a lot of friends and connections on TikTok, which is where my um, editor my, found me. Um, and she said, you know, I know that you're self-published. I know that you're not necessarily in the market for a publisher. And I wasn't. I had no intention at all. Um, and she said, but if you ever feel like working with someone, please let me know. I would be thrilled to work with you. And I was like, well, okay, a conversation can't hurt. Right. Um, so we had a conversation and what they were offering was amazing. I mean, it, it was the deal that would make me go to a publisher. Um, I wanted full control. I wanted creative control. I didn't want anyone to have to be able to tell me, you know, oh, well, you can't write that or we're not going to publish that because we don't agree that. Right you know, this should be in a book or I, you know, I don't want my books to be whitewashed. I don't want the, my LGBTQ characters to be taken out. I don't, those are things that were very important to me when I was writing that mm-hmm. they were in my books. Um, and I didn't want anyone telling me that that was something that I needed to tone down or not. write. Um, so that was a big, big factor in staying the self-publishing course. Um, but they were like, no, you have full control. Um, you know, the only thing that we would have an issue with would be like problematic things, which. If you're I an author, probably, you shouldn't right. be doing that anyways. <laughs> exactly. Like I was like, OK, cool. or if you're a human, let's not limit that to authors. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, can we just not be problematic? How about that? That would be great. Um, but yeah, I was like, OK, well, that's that's wonderful. And it was um, a company that was run by women. It had a woman owner. It was, uh, diverse. They weren't just a bunch of a sea of white faces. Um, the owner is actually Latina and I was very excited. I was like, okay, I get to work with women. I get to work with diverse women. This is where I want to be. And I was very, very excited. Um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately that did not work out. Um, things happened. I, (laughs) I don't exactly have all of the details of what happened but it was just a sad situation that could have been something really really amazing for our community that just kind of fell apart um so I had to make a decision then you know do I keep going because there was a moment where I was like do I want to do this alone again um especially after working with a team when you work with a team of people this profession can be so isolating mm-hmm. uh, well, I think I that's like, probably about the time that you posted the initial video on TikTok that I came across was probably during that questioning time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I sat with it for probably about a week, just like, I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm not going to do anything. And I had friends, other authors um, that were like, no, you know, just get it back out there. Just put it back out. You know, you've done this before. You can do it again. Don't let this stop you. But it, it it was a blow. Um, it was a really, really big blow for me. And I struggled, um, that experience, they were able to do a lot of things that I cannot do for myself. Um, as an author, it's really not looked well upon if you start cold messaging people, um, to collaborate with or to, uh, help promote your work. That's not something that many people are going to take, uh, well, 
Not that I blame yeah. them. If I was having inundated. gotten those messages, I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's just not something you do. Um, and I didn't have the type of connections. I didn't have, you know, I am an extroverted introvert. Um, <laughs> Forced to be an extrovert in certain situations, but you'd prefer not yeah. to be. And I, <laughs> Same. I enjoy it. There are times when I very much enjoy being in the center of everything and being loud and, and just putting all this energy out. Um, but then I have to kind of pull back and be like, okay, I need a break because that's too much for me. Um, and that makes it difficult to reach out to 20, 30 people. I have a hard time maintaining relationships on that level with that many people. It's just Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I have, a a very close knit group of friends that I've made the majority I've met on TikTok, um, that I communicate with pretty much every day, at least once a week. Um, we check in, we have great relationships. Um, but Nightshade had that with dozens upon dozens of authors and readers and book talkers and influencers. Mm -hmm. And that was wonderful. That's what I needed. Um, So it was hard to think, God, how am I going to go from having these resources and this team of people who believe in my work and help promote my work and get the word out there and have all these connections to go back to just being me with my five or six people. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. It was a lot to think about and it was very disheartening and it, it, I almost, I almost stopped. I'm not going to lie. It was almost enough for me. Um, it just was overwhelming and not a great feeling. Now, before we step into what you did next, because I kind of know what came (laughs) next, um, what we didn't touch on was before you got hooked up at the publisher, what did your, did you edit your book at all? Or did you just like publish the first draft and like, what did that (laughs) editing process look like? No. Um, so I... So between me and my CP, who is an amazing editor, um, we went through my book probably 45 to 50 times. Like it was just that <laughs> fourth. I never wanted to look at that book again for the rest. <laughs> I was like, I don't even want to hear the name of this book anymore. And now I have to promote it. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> But we did. Um, Yeah. So we edited it. Um, It went through so many, so many edits um, and proofreading and all of the things before it was ready. Um, It took us a couple of months to get through that process. Uh, But I mean, we were just working on my book. We didn't have other projects. So we could solely focus every single day on that, which was nice. Right. Um, and then I imagine once the publisher picked you up, they also went through at least a round of let's make sure that yes. it's good. Yes. So they, um, before they republished Amulet, they sent it to an editor as well, um, who somehow managed to still find like a comma that shouldn't have been there or a misspelled word. And I'm like, how do you go through that many edits and there are still grammar errors? Like, <laughs> it happens. How? And I'm sure. <laughs> zero doubt 
that I could still send it to a different editor and they would probably still find something. <laughs> I mean, at I, some point you have to decide I'm done spending money on this. Yeah. Like it's never going to be perfect. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. And I kept, that's what I kept telling myself because I, I didn't want to put it out because I was like, oh my God, I'm an indie. If there's a single mistake, everyone is going to drag me for it. Like they're going to be like, oh, see, indies, they can't, they can't. Stay put away out a- from them. <laughs> yeah. And then, but I kept telling myself, you know, I'm, I myself have been, avid avid reader i have been immersing myself in books for literally as long as i can remember i read old yeller in second grade like i <laughs> little women was my favorite book when i lived in kentucky um i love love books and i can't think of a single book where i haven't found at least one typo right same so i was like well I guess it's okay. I'm just going to have to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if the book's been around as long as Little Women and it still has stuff, there's no hope for the rest of us. (laughs) Times has that been through edits? I mean, come on. Right. I mean, it gets republished every, you know, how many years? (laughs) Right. So then you, and because we didn't touch on this, you're, um, publishing company essentially decided to close and yes. left whoever was there out in the wind. So you publish or publish, you post this video on TikTok with, I don't even remember what the, you were crying. I remember that. Yeah. And basically asking for help. And the response was insane. You had so many people commenting. Um, yes. And then you decided to start a Discord for all these different jobs to come together. What led you to that decision? Um, I wanted the team. I wanted uh, to not feel like I was going at it alone again. That was the thing that pulled me out of, oh my God, do I even continue? Mm-hmm. Um, I was just sitting there one day and I was thinking, and I was like, you know, we've got all of these groups. We've got 20 books, which is, a fantastic resource. I mean, if you have a question, you can go there and they have pretty much anything you could ask somewhere on that site, but it's not very interactive. It's not meant to be. That's not um, what it's there for. It's supposed to be a teaching tool. You're supposed to be able to go and look at the resources and find your answers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not really so much a Hey, if you are looking to, you know, start an ARC team, that these people are interested in that. Like, that's not something that was available in twenty books. Right. Um, it's not something that was available in a lot of the re- the readers or writers groups that I am a part of on Facebook and TikTok and all of these things. There's just not. There wasn't a platform that I had yet found. I'm sure mm-hmm. there is one because I'm. You know, it's not. I'm not reinventing the wheel right um, you're just making the wheel more accessible to you right right I was like okay so I am going to just try this and let's see what happens um and I got the idea and I was like well where would I format this and at first I was like well Facebook is where everyone does it um but, but I couldn't figure out how to really like like how many Facebook groups would I even have to make right. to have every aspect of this journey covered you know, there yeah um, and I don't even someone mentioned to me discord and I I wish that I could remember who did but I I think I was kind of in a, a a bit of a mental 
bad place. Yeah. Uh, so I don't remember, but someone mentioned Discord and I was like, okay, well, I've never really used Discord out of like playing Borderlands with my husband every now and then. So let's figure it out. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of where that idea came from. And I really, really, really wanted it to be a place where if you're a writer and this is your debut novel and you need arc readers, you can go in there and you can say, hey, this is my book. Here's the blurb. I need arc readers and get at least some people. Um, I wanted you to be able to go in there as a reader who is looking to be on street teams or beta teams or arc teams and say, hey, I really would like to do this and have, you know, your pick of 50 or 60 authors who need people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like personal assistants, we've got personal assistants in there and web designers and graphic designers. And I mean, if narrators, yeah, narr- <laughs> narrators, I love my narrators. Um, just so many different people who do different things in this industry as independent people. Um, that I was just like, let's connect okay, them all together. Yeah. Okay. So you decide to do that. And first, first, initially you posted, I mean, you may have started the Discord already at this point, but I know I saw a video that was like, who would be interested in this before I joined it? And then there was another, like shortly thereafter, another video that was like, hey, here's the link. Yeah. (laughs) So so the first video, I hadn't even really decided what the format would look like, um, like where, what platform I was going to use to create this thing mm-hmm. um and then I got such a huge response from it that I was like oh okay um well I guess I need to set this up then <laughs> <laughs> okay and then you've you've very much refined it over time because you definitely have added a lot more I don't know what they're called community rooms whatever the yeah. things are called on discord I have no idea um You've refined it over time to add in because like narrators weren't there initially. And then you added like all these like if you do this, here's your like introduce yourself in here so people can find you kind of thing. Um, And then obviously you posted it on TikTok for here's the link if you want to join. Um, So in in the midst of all of that, you're also trying to figure out how to market your book. So while you're discording and creating another community (laughs) of people. What were you doing to help now promote your book as just you? Uh, um, not enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't understand enough of all of the algorithms and systems and things to understand what I did wrong. Um, but I did something wrong. <laughs> I went from, you know, selling at least a couple copies a day before I had a publisher. Um, Mm -hmm. And now uh, my book seems to be invisible. Um, The whole thing just seems to be uh, relegated to some purgatory on Amazon. Um, And I think some of that has to do with the fact that there was multiple copies of the book for so long. It's still hard to kind of search it. Um, I ended up changing the entire title of the prequel to kind of circumvent that problem with Amulet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that with the release of this next book, 
it will pull it further out. But there is definitely uh, a swamp to wade through from having multiple versions and copies and links of the same book um, that I still haven't managed to untangle. Yeah, that so just so you know, I just searched your name on Amazon and pulled up your book. So <laughs> it, it it is viewable. But... So maybe we're getting somewhere. I it was it was rough for a while. There was um it wasn't until just a couple of weeks ago that you could even pull up my version of the book. Um for whatever reason, for the longest time the publisher's version was still the one coming up and mm-hmm. you couldn't buy it. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't read it. It was just not there. And while it was live on my end, my version of the book, um, you just couldn't find it. You could only find the version that you couldn't get. Um, so I'm hoping that now that that has finally, finally been rectified, um, this will start getting a little bit better, but it, mm-hmm. it has definitely been a journey. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now, obviously, you had some you know, unique situation where most people aren't going to have to deal with. Right. Oh, crap. No. I can't use the publisher's version anymore. I have to, like, create my whole. Now, you did have the advantage to you'd already done yes. it on your own before. So you kind of knew here's what I you know, the steps I need to take to at least get my version back up there. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have to like email them or anything to pull down the publisher's version or oh how did that God. work? Yes, uh, that was a month long nightmare. Uh, Amazon is not the easiest of platforms to work with as an indie. Um, their policies and procedures are very convoluted. Um, and one person will tell you that they will take care of the situation. And another person will tell you that there's nothing they can do. Um, so it's very, it's an uphill battle of trying to make sure things are done. Mm -hmm. Um, even though like everything that I publish is copyrighted through the library of Congress long before it ever hits anything, I hold copyrights, um, for everything. Mm -hmm. So even though I have a copyright, even though it's documented, um, Amazon still gave me trouble. They did not want to take it down. Um, It took weeks and weeks for them to finally explain to me that the reason they weren't taking it down and couldn't take it down was because it wasn't even them that had it up. It was from Ingram Spark, which is another Mm, distributor. Right. Um, So I had to reach back out to the publisher. I had to reach back out to Ingram. I had to send proof of copyright and all of these things all over again. Um, until right in the middle of last month, I want to say is when it finally, finally came down. Um, and I have started to finally see page reads again and finally, you know, see some interest building, but it's like. Starting from ground zero again. It, it's almost worse than starting from ground zero because you, you build a, a base, a reader base and you, you know, you make these connections and you connect with these readers mm-hmm. and you know, they enjoy the book, they enjoy the story, they want more. And then you let them down. You tell them they're getting something and then they don't get it. Right. And that can be very damaging for an author's reputation, for readers' 
trust in what you're going to provide. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be something that's really, really hard to scramble back from. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'll get there. <laughs> I'm working it. I'm getting there. Um, I, well, just, I think you know, part of it that would help too, is just the fact that you've been so honest through this whole thing on social media, like, Hey, this is what's happening. Like it, it's out of my control, but I'm trying to do what I can. Um, yeah. I think that, I mean, if you, you know, if something goes wrong and you just <laughs> go radio silent, no one's going to trust you anymore because you're just like not telling them what's happening. <laughs> right. And that was my big thing. You know, I was like, okay, I have to, I have to say something because if I don't, then I just look like someone who's, um, flaky word. Yeah. Flaky. <laughs> I was trying to think of a word that wasn't a curse word because the phrase that was in my head was not uh, PG. Um, I, I but, have an explicit warning. You're cool. I, I don't care. Oh, okay. So <laughs> you look like you're blowing smoke up people's asses, right? Like you just mm-hmm. look like. No, I promise it's coming. I promise it's coming. (laughs) Right. Like after a while, even the most rabid fans are going to be like, oh, my God, this woman is full of shit. Like, I'm so done with it. So I I just wanted to be very open and very transparent and be like, hey, this is what is happening. This is what is going on. Um, And that has I haven't seen numbers dropping on social media. So I haven't seen like a mass exodus of, of followers from TikTok. I haven't seen a ton of people leaving the reader group on Facebook. I haven't mm-hmm. seen any of any of that affecting the discord. Um, so, you know, cross your fingers and you hope that that's enough. And right. it's really such a, it's such a new thing in the grand scheme of publishing to be an author on, you know, in the public eye, representing yourself, making your own statements. That's such a new thing that everything is kind of hit or miss. Everything is a trial run. Everything is, um, well, let's just hope. Right, right. And I mean, and there's nothing you can do about it either, because that's the name of even if you're with a publisher, that's the name of the game. You put out this book and hope people want to buy it. Right. Right. But you don't really right. know until you've done it. So. Yep. I mean, there, you know, there are books that I have read that people have never heard of that are just absolutely amazing pieces of work. And I mean, people get really angry when I say it, but there is an aspect of luck to this profession. Yes. Um, it's, I mean, you can do everything right. And I mean, and you're also at the mercy of algorithms for social media, too. If the algorithm decides it hates you during your book release, Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's same for like, you know, podcast posting podcast episodes. I may have one video get, you know, 500 or I don't know that I've had any get a thousand views, still relatively new podcast. Um, And then the next one will have like 10. And I'm like, well, I didn't do anything different. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny, too, to see what performs where, like, Mm -hmm. you know, some some people on TikTok, for example, post these page flips and they are like, you know, they've got 300,000 followers and they, you know, and I post a page flip and I've got like 10 views, but I post it on Instagram and I've got 20,000. Like, it's really there is there is an amount of luck to this. There really, really is. And you just have to kind of persevere. It is 
And it's not even like the luck you can create yourself. It's like, no. <laughs> it's the, no, you hope the not. social media gods are working in your favor yes. today. <laughs> absolutely. It's either that or spend a fortune on ad Paid campaign. Ads. Yeah. Um, which some, even that, some people don't have great success with and they're doing all the right things. Their cover is good. Their blurb is good. Their writing is polished. They've, you know, they've done all of the proper things. And even then that doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, I mean, I think it has a higher success rate um, because you're literally paying to put your stuff in front of people. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, you just there's also a learning curve to that to make sure yes. it's getting in front of the right people. Mm hmm. Yes. Like I actually just last week stopped all ad campaigns because I'm like, my listen, I just do it on podcasts, but I'm like, my listens yeah. aren't going up. That means something's not working. I need to stop throwing money at it. Right. So. <laughs> right. And some of it is just, you know, trying to educate yourself on how these things work, because I don't I mean, you know, I'm an, I'm an author. I don't have a, a marketing brain necessarily like my brain doesn't uh, really understand. I mean, I understand, but I don't understand it on the technical mathematical level that some people do right like, I think keywords are important because when people are searching they're putting in keywords and those are the words that are going to pull up your book um but then you have to go and you have to do research and oh well if I put magic as a keyword you're probably going to pull up Harry Potter long before you pull up Amulet of Stars and Fire right, right? And you're going to pull up the how many dozens of copies of right. Harry Potter that are published today Exactly. In every language known to man, plus every other, you know, you're going to pull up Wheel of Time and all of these huge, huge books. Like, that's not going to do me a lot of good. Right. Um, so you kind of have to get really deep into understanding algorithms and numbers and things that my brain doesn't really work well with. Um, <laughs> I, I much prefer, like, tell me what to put. I finally yes. found something this last week because I'm trying. So I spent not this past week, but the week before at a podcast conference. And one of the things like the social media class has talked about is like using, you know, hashtags that are relevant and whatever. So then I come home and I'm like, all right, let's research like what hashtags should I be using or like how many because like, you know, if you post a hashtag that like podcast, the hashtag podcast has how many millions, billions oh, right. of of tags that are like you're going to get lost in the shuffle. So I'm like, what's a good like post number, my my social media scheduler has like, it'll show you here's how many posts get seen in this in the last hour or whatever. Um, and so like in my Googling, what am I looking for? It was like, look for ones that have between like 10 and 30,000 views. That's like a good, you get over, you know, a million, two million, a billion views. You're just going to get lost. <laughs> so Right. I'm like, the things that you have to learn and just keep notes of, use these. Now, good thing is with, like, my podcasts, I can keep the same hashtags for the most part. Um, but it's, like, just making sure to use ones that, like, I have different ones on TikTok than I do on Instagram than I do yep. on Facebook. And then, like, yep. how many hashtags are you supposed to use on each platform so you don't get shadow banned? <laughs> like, Yeah. And there's so much to learn. Like, yes. I, I'm finally starting to do very, very inexpensive ad campaigns just to kind of push it back out now that you can find it again and actually buy it. Right. Uh, 
<laughs> Find so, one that doesn't say not available. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so now that you can do that, I'm like, okay, I just started a Facebook ad yesterday. Um, but even doing that, like I've learned so much from the first time I ever ran an ad, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I, I put together this very compelling, you know, visual presentation that really ropes you in, but then, you know, failed to put a link, which, <laughs> um, is kind of crucial. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So, you know, I'm sitting here spending money and people are liking it and they're commenting on it, but let's face it. We live in a very right now push a button age. Yep. And if there's no button to push, they're not going to go to Amazon and look it up. Nope. They're on Facebook. They don't want to close that app, go to another app. Like you need to have those things there. (laughs) And they want to click a button and it takes right. them there. Yeah. Exactly. But I didn't know how to do that at first. So I just didn't. And I was like, well, getting the word out is enough. It's never, that's never no. the right answer. But I didn't know better. So, you know, you learn as you go and you make mistakes. And sometimes they're costly mistakes. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, you learn and you do better and, you know, you grow. And it's it's not unlike the traditional publishing route, you're just more involved. Yes. <laughs> so whereas, you know, I could have not published myself and I could have kept querying and I could have kept reaching out to agents and publishers and all of the things that you're supposed to do, quote unquote. Um, and it still would have been a long, arduous process. Pros- yeah. You have to like stay in. I just did it differently. I published and then now I have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, but at least this way, there's the potential that it will work, you know, and not to say that that was a bad phrasing, actually, I heard it as I said it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I, I do believe that if you're persistent enough, that you can find a publisher and you can find an agent, I truly do believe that if you keep at it, unless you just have not done any of the things right. Um, right. I think I think that you absolutely can find a publisher and find an agent. I, I truly believe that. Um, but it is a long process and sometimes it takes years, decades, you know, mm-hmm. um, and a lot, a lot of rejection. And that's hard. Even if you know it's coming, it's hard. Um, but yeah, I just, I just got a, a brutal review yesterday. So I, I had- <laughs> uh, those are the worst. I don't even yeah. look anymore. I went from that's I it was so funny though because I had one one so my reviews would be on audiobooks so I had one audiobook that was like god this is uh, the the gist of it was this is the worst narrator in the whole wide world and oh oh my god don't listen to any of her stuff and then I had another one on a different book that was like oh my god I love this so much (laughs) like on the same day and I'm like we're just going to start ignoring unless unless the review because telling me I'm like the most awful narrator on the planet without telling me like why is unhelpful. So I I can't fix, like, if if I don't know what's wrong, and it could very well just be that they just don't like my voice, which happens. Same as, like, some writers are just not for some readers. Like, that is the name of the game of putting yourself out there with a public product, whether it be a book, YouTube videos, narrating, 
Um, any other thing that you would randomly put yourself out there for? Um, <laughs> there's, there's so many things, so many things that, you know, it may just be they had a bad day that day. I don't know. <laughs> but... right. no, I mean, not everything is for everyone and that's okay. You know, we hear you hear it all the time, especially on TikTok where these discussions happen constantly yeah just all the time um you know and that's okay but yeah it is it does really really kind of sting when you get one though that's just like oh this was awful well okay do you want to elaborate because right I don't know about I can't speak for anyone else but when I first started like getting reviews and reading reviews and I would automatically go to the bad ones Cause I wanted to know, I wanted to know where can I improve? What are they like? What's, is there anything that's consistent throughout, you know, whatever. Um, and even in some of the good reviews, one of the constant themes for Amulet was started slow. Okay. Almost I every book that. does. Um, yeah, they do. Um, but I can use that. I can try to figure out how to spice it up a little bit put a little bit of action in some of this world building that is necessary, especially for a fantasy book. But, you know, I can, I can take those critiques and I can use them in future projects so that I'm continuously better. Um, I think I saw one author on TikTok say something about like, write your book, like how you would normally write your book, but then like basically cut off until you get to like your first, there's action going on scene. And that's where you start your book. And then, yes. you know, if there's vital information in the first part that was slower, obviously inject that in where it would be appropriate later on. But <laughs> to kind yep. of like start it on a scene that's going to capture them. <laughs> yep. And and I it, it took me longer than I would like to admit to figure that one out um, because I, you know, I'm doing this on my own. I don't right. have a team. I don't have um, a lot of professionals behind me who you know do this and have done this for years um so yeah amulet where i thought you know okay the 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 book opens and she originally the book opened and the main character is asleep and her mom is waking her up like it immediately jumps into an interaction between two women um at the beginning of the book and i thought that was great Mm -hmm. but then Throughout those, you know, umpteen bazillion edits, my uh, CP said to me, you know, you might want to put a prologue in maybe or something that has a bit of action and a hook, Mm -hmm. um, a bit of what's coming instead of just opening on a normal day and then the inciting event, which that's actually an older way of writing that's a very more common um with authors who were writing when I was young because those right. were the books I was so you know I'm mimicking the styles of you know Laura Ingalls Wilder and Nora Roberts and Danielle Steele and you know these authors that are have been in this business for ever ever and ever and have <laughs> you know, a hundred books plus a piece. Um, I'm mimicking that style because that's what I read. That's mm-hmm. what I know. And I learn and I grow as I continue to write. And as I continue to make contacts in this industry with other authors and narrators and readers and 
all of these people who have these little tidbits of wisdom that you just kind of pick up and you look at it and you go, okay, is this something I can use or not? Because not everything, again, is for everyone, you know? Right. If someone told me, oh, well, um, you know, amulet, for instance, has very, very mild spice. There's, it's like one scene and they basically like kiss heavy and it's, that's it. That's the whole amount of spice in the whole first book. (laughs) And someone might look at me and say, you know, that could really use more spice. Right. Well, you may be right for a different story. You know, the prequel has a lot of nice, heavy spice in it. Um, more explicit, more on the page stuff. Um, but the characters are older. It's a different dynamic. I'm not telling the same story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not everything is for every book or every person. I'm never going to write horror. Like, I I know that. I'm not going to write a horror. That's I don't not... think I could entrench, entrench my brain into... Right. There's no way that I don't, like I feel like it would damage my <laughs> my psyche right. too much to be so entrenched and dark like that. Yeah, like I, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. It's not something that I'm going to branch out into. So if a horror author comes and gives me advice, I have to be aware they're a horror author. It, is coming from very genre-specific places. So Now, you know, if every- Stephen King wants to give me advice on how to get in with a publisher, <laughs> by all means, I'm going to listen. <laughs> right. Like, I, you know, if you, so Mr. King, if you want to critique my work, please, by all means, <laughs> I will listen until I can't listen anymore. But um, even then, you know, I need to be aware that some of the things you're going to tell me may not be for me but I'm going to be able to use because right. I don't write the genre um but that's kind of the beauty of places like TikTok because you get such an amalgamation of different, everything yeah and you you get all of these little nuggets and sometimes they you can pick it up and look at it and say oh well I can take this little piece off of it and sometimes you look at it and say no that one's not for me but you know here I'll put it back for someone else to pick up right J.L. liked the story of Sleeping Beauty when she was a kid. Sleeping Beauty, or Little Briar Rose, also titled in English as The Sleeping Beauty in the Woods, is a classic fairy tale about a princess who is cursed to sleep for a hundred years by an evil fairy, to be awakened by a handsome prince at the end of them. The good fairy, realizing that the princess would be frightened if alone when she awakens, uses her wand to put every living person and animal in the palace asleep, to awaken when the princess does. The earliest known version of the story is found in the narrative Purse Forest, composed between 1330 and 1344. The tale was first published by Giambattista Basile in his collection of tales titled The Pentamarone, published posthumously in 1634. Basile's version was later adapted and published by Charles Perrault in Historis au Contes du Temps Passé in 1697. The version that was later collected and printed by the Brothers Grimm was an orally transmitted version of the literary tale published by Perrault. 
The Arne Thompson classification system for folktales classifies Sleeping Beauty as being a four-ten-tale type, meaning it includes a princess who is forced into an enchanted sleep and is later awakened, reversing the magic placed upon her. The story has been adapted many times throughout history and has continued to be retold by modern storytellers throughout various media. Today we'll be reading The King of England and His Three Sons, this story has been noted to be similar to the original Sleeping Beauty story. Don't forget, we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. The King of England and His Three Sons Once upon a time, there was an old king who had three sons. And the old king fell very sick one time, and there was nothing at all could make him well, but some golden apples from a far country. So the three brothers went on horseback to look for some of these apples. They set off together, and when they came to a crossroads, they halted and refreshed themselves a bit, and then they agreed to meet on a certain time, and not one was to go home before the other. So Valentine took the right, and Oliver went straight on, and poor Jack took the left. To make my long story short, I shall follow poor Jack and let the other two take their chance, for I don't think there was much good in them. Off poor Jack rides over hills, dales, valleys, and mountains, through woolly woods and sheep walks, where the old chap never sounded his hollow bugle horn further than I can tell you tonight, or ever intend to tell you. At last he came to an old house, near a great forest, and there was an old man sitting out by the door and his look was enough to frighten you or anyone else. And the old man said to him, Good morning, my king's son. Good morning to you, old gentleman, was the young prince's answer. Frightened out of his wits, though he was, he didn't like to give in. The old gentleman told him to dismount and to go in to have some refreshment, and to put his horse in the stable, such as it was. Jack soon felt much better after having something to eat and began to ask the old gentleman how he knew he was a king's son. Oh, dear, said the old man. I knew that you were a king's son, and I know what is your business better than what you do yourself. So you will have to stay here tonight, and when you are in bed, you mustn't be frightened, whatever you may hear. There will come all manner of frogs and snakes, and some will try to get into your eyes and your mouth. But mind, don't stir the least bit, or you will turn into one of those things yourself. Poor Jack didn't know what to make of this. But, however, he ventured to go to bed, just as he thought to have a bit of sleep. Round and over and under him they came, but he never stirred an inch all night. Well, my son, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm very well, thank you, but I didn't have much rest. Well, never mind that. You've got on very well so far, but you have a great deal to go through before you can have the golden apples to go to your father. You'd better come and have some breakfast before you start on your way to my other brother's house. You will have to leave your own horse here with me until you come back again and tell me everything about how you get on. After that, out came a fresh horse for the young prince, and the old man gave him a ball of yarn, and he flung it between the horse's two ears. Off he went as fast as the wind. 
which the wind behind could not catch the wind before, until he came to the second oldest brother's house. When he rode up to the door, he had the same salute as from the first old man, but this one was even uglier than the first one. He had long gray hair, and his teeth were curling out of his mouth, and his finger and toenails had not been cut for many thousand years. He put the horse into a much better stable and called Jack in, and gave him plenty to eat and drink, and they had a bit of a chat before they went to bed. Well, my young son, said the old man, I suppose you are one of the king's children come to look for the golden apples to bring him back to health. Yes, I'm the youngest of the three brothers and I should like to get them to go back with. Well, don't mind, my young son. Before you go to bed tonight, I will send my eldest brother, and will tell him what you want, and he won't have much trouble in sending you on to the place where you must get the apples. But mind not to stir tonight, no matter how you get bitten and stung, or else you will work great mischief to yourself. The young man went to bed and bore all as he did the first night, and got up the next morning well and hearty. After a good breakfast, out comes a fresh horse, and a ball of yarn to throw between his ears. The old man told him to jump up quick and said that he had made it all right with his eldest brother, not to delay for anything whatever. For, said he, you have a good deal to go through with in a very short and quick time. He flung the ball and off as he goes as quick as lightning, and comes to the eldest brother's house. The old man receives him very kindly and told him he long wished to see him, and that he would go through his work like a man and come back safe and sound. Tonight, said he, I will give you rest. There shall nothing come to disturb you, so that you may not feel sleepy for tomorrow. And you must mind to get up middling early, for you've got to go and come all in the same day. There will be no place for you to rest within thousands of miles of that place. And if there was, you would stand in great danger never to come from there in your own form. Now, my young prince, mind what I tell you. Tomorrow, when you come in sight of a very large castle, which will be surrounded with black water, the first thing you will do, you will tie your horse to a tree, and you will see three beautiful swans in sight. And you will say, Swan, Swan, carry me over in the name of the griffin of the greenwood. And the swans will swim you over to the earth. There will be three great entrances. The first guarded by four green giants with drawn swords in their hands. The second by lions. The other by fiery serpents and dragons. You will have to be there exactly at one o'clock and mind and leave there precisely at two and not a moment later. When the swans carry you over to the castle, you will pass all these things all fast asleep, but you must not notice any of them. When you go in, you will turn up to the right. You will see some grand rooms, then you will go downstairs through the cooking kitchen, and through a door on your left, you go into a garden, where you will find the apples you want for your father to get well. After you fill your wallet, you make all speed you possibly can, and call out for the swans to carry you over the same as before. After you get on your horse, should you hear anything shouting or making any noise after you, be sure not to look back, as they will follow you for thousands of miles. But when the time is up, and you get near my place, it will be all over. Well now, my young man, I've told you all you have to do tomorrow, and mind whatever you do, don't look about you when you see all those frightful things asleep. Keep a good heart and make haste from there, and come back to me with all the speed you can. 
I should like to know how my two brothers were when you left them, and what they said to you about me. Well, to tell the truth, before I left London, my father was sick and said I was to come here to look for the golden apples, for they were the only things that would do him good. And when I came to your youngest brother, he told me many things I had to do before I came here. And I thought once that your youngest brother put me in the wrong bed when he put all those snakes to bite me all night long, until your second brother told me so it was to be, and said it is the same here, but said you had none in your beds. Well, let's go to bed. You need not fear there are no snakes here. The young man went to bed and had a good night's rest, and got up the next morning as fresh as newly caught trout. Breakfast being over, out comes the other horse, and while saddling and fettling, the old man began to laugh, and told the young gentleman that if he saw a pretty young lady, not to stay with her too long, because she might waken, and then he would have to stay with her, or to be turned into one of those unearthly monsters like those he would have to pass by going into the castle. <laughs> you make me laugh so that I can scarcely buckle the saddle straps. I think I shall make it all right, my uncle, if I see a young lady there. You may depend. Well, my boy, I shall see how you will get on. So he mounts his Arab steed, and off he goes like a shot out of a gun. At last he comes inside of the castle. He ties his horse safe to a tree and pulls out his watch, it was then a quarter to one when he called out, Swan, Swan, carry me over, for the name of the old griffin of the greenwood. No sooner said than done. A swan under each side and one in front took him over in a crack. He got on his legs and walked quietly by all those giants, lions, fiery serpents, and all manner of other frightful things too numerous to mention, while they were fast asleep and that only for the space of one hour, when into the castle he goes neck or nothing. Turning to the right, upstairs he runs, and enters into a very grand bedroom, and sees a beautiful princess lying full stretch on a gold bedstead, fast asleep. He gazed on her beautiful form, with admiration, and he takes her garter off and buckles it on his own leg, and he buckles his on hers, he also takes her gold watch and pocket handkerchief and exchanges his for hers. After that, he ventures to give her a kiss. When she very nearly opened her eyes, seeing the time short, off he runs downstairs and passing through the kitchen to go into the garden for the apples. He could see the cook all fours on her back on the middle of the floor, with the knife in one hand and the fork in the other. He found the apples and filled the wallet, and on passing through the kitchen, the cook nearly wakened. But he was obliged to make all the speed he possibly could as the time was nearly up. He called out for the swans, and they managed to take him over, but they found that he was a little heavier than before. No sooner than he had mounted his horse, he could hear a tremendous noise. The enchantment was broke, and they tried to follow him but all to no purpose. He was not long before he came to the oldest brother's house, and glad enough he was to see it, for the sight and the noise of all those things that were after him nearly frightened him to death. Welcome, my boy. I'm proud to see you. Dismount and put the horse in the stable and come in and have some refreshments. I know you're hungry after all you've gone through in that castle, and tell me all you did and all you saw there. Other king's sons went by here to go to that castle, but they never came back alive, and you're the only one that ever broke the spell. 
And now, you must come with me with a sword in your hand and must cut my head off and must throw it in that well. The young prince dismounts and put his horse in the stable, and they go in to have some refreshments, for I can assure you he wanted some. And after telling everything that passed, which the old gentleman was very pleased to hear, they both went for a walk together. The young prince looking around and seeing the place looking dreadful, as did the old man. He could scarcely walk from his toenails curling up like ram's horns that had not been cut for many hundred years, and big long hair. They come to a well, and the old man gives the prince a sword and tells him to cut his head off and throw it in that well. The young man has to do it against his wish, but has to do it. No sooner has he flung the head in the well than up springs one of the finest young gentlemen you would wish to see. And instead of the old house and the frightful-looking place, it was changed into a beautiful hall and grounds. And they went back and enjoyed themselves well, and had a good laugh about the castle. The young prince leaves this young gentleman in all his glory, and he tells the young prince before leaving that he will see him again before long. They have a jolly shake hands. And off he goes to the next oldest brother. And to make my long story short, he has to serve the other two brothers the same as the first. Now the youngest brother began to ask him how things went on. Did you see my two brothers? Yes. How did they look? Oh, they looked very well. I liked them much. They told me many things what to do. Well, did you go to the castle? Yes, my uncle. And will you tell me what you see in there? Did you see the young lady? Yes, I saw her and plenty of other frightful things. Did you hear any snake biting you in my oldest brother's bed? No, there were none there. I slept well. You won't have to sleep in the same bed tonight. You will have to cut my head off in the morning. The young prince had a good night's rest and changed all the appearance of the place by cutting his friend's head off before he started in the morning. A jolly shake hands, and the uncle tells him it's very probable he shall see him again soon when he's not aware of it. This one's mansion was very pretty, and the country around it beautiful after his head was cut off. Off Jack goes, over hills, dales, valleys, and mountains, and very near losing his apples again. At last he arrives at the crossroads where he has to meet his brothers on the very day appointed. Coming up to the place, he sees no tracks of horses. And being very tired, he lays himself down to sleep by tying the horse to his leg and putting the apples under his head. Presently, up come the other brothers the same time to the minute and found him fast asleep. And they would not waken him, but said to one another, let us see what sort of apples he's got under his head. So they took and tasted them, and found they were very different to theirs. They took and changed his apples for theirs, and off to London as fast as they could and left the poor fellow sleeping. After a while he awoke, and seeing the tracks of other horses, he mounted and off with him, not thinking anything about the apples being changed. He still had a long way to go, and by the time he got near London, he could hear all the bells in the town ringing but did not know what was the matter till he rode up to the palace when he came to know that his father was recovered by his brother's apples. When he got there, his two brothers were off to some sports for a while, and the king was glad to see his youngest son and very anxious to taste his apples. But when he found out that they were not good 
and thought that they were more for poisoning him, he sent immediately for the headsman to behead his youngest son, who was taken away there and then in a carriage. But instead of the headsman taking his head off, he took him to a forest not far from the town because he had pity on him, and there left him to take his chance. When presently up comes a big hairy bear, limping upon three legs, the prince... Poor fellow climbed up a tree, frightened of him, but the bear told him to come down, that it was no use of him to stop there. With hard persuasion, poor Jack comes down, and the bear speaks to him and bids him, Come here to me, I will not do you any harm. It's better for you to come with me and have some refreshments. I know that you are hungry all this time. The poor young prince says, No, I'm not hungry, but I was very frightened when I saw you coming to me first, as I had no place to run away from you. The bear said, I was also afraid of you when I saw that gentleman setting you down from the carriage. I thought you would have guns with you and that you would not mind killing me if you saw me. But when I saw the gentleman going away with the carriage and leaving you behind by yourself, I made bold to come to you to see who you were. And now I know who you are very well. Are you not the king's youngest son? I've seen you and your brothers and lots of other gentlemen in this wood many times. Now, before we go from here, I must tell you that I am in disguise, and I shall take you where we are stopping. The young prince tells him everything from first to last. How he started in search of the apples, and about the three old men, and about the castle, and how he was served at last by his father after he came home. And instead of the headsman taking his head off, he was kind enough to leave him his life. And here I am now, under your protection. The bear tells him, Come on, my brother. There shall no harm come to you as long as you're with me. So he takes him up to the tents. And when they see him coming, the girls begin to laugh and say, Here's our Jubal coming with a young gentleman. When he advanced nearer the tents, they all knew that he was the young prince that had passed by that way many times before. And when Jubal went to change himself, he called most of them together into one tent and told them all about him and to be kind to him. And so they were, for there was nothing that he desired but what he had, the same as if he was in the palace with his father and mother. Jubal, after he pulled off his hairy coat, was one of the finest young men amongst them, and he was the young prince's closest companion. The young prince was always very sociable and merry, only when he thought of the gold watch he had from the young princess in the castle, and which he had lost he knew not where. He passed off many happy days in the forest, but one day he and poor Jubal were strolling through the trees when they came to the very spot where they first met, and accidentally looking up he could see his watch hanging in the tree, which he had to climb when he first saw poor Jubal coming to him in the form of a bear, and he cries out, "'Jubal, Jubal, I can see my watch up in that tree.' "'Well, I'm sure how lucky,' exclaimed poor Jubal. "'Shall I go and get it down?' No, I'd rather go myself, said the young prince. Now, whilst all this was going on, the young princess in that castle, seeing that one of the king of England's sons had been there by the changing of the watch and other things, got herself ready with a large army and sailed off for England. She left her army a little out of the town, and she went with her guards straight up to the palace to see the king, and also demanded to see his sons. They had a long conversation together about different things. 
At last, she demands one of the sons to come before her, and the oldest comes when she asks him, Have you ever been at the castle of Malvales? And he answers, Yes. She throws down a pocket handkerchief and bids him to walk over it without stumbling. He goes to walk over it, and no sooner did he put his foot on it than he fell down and broke his leg. He was taken off immediately and made a prisoner of by her own guards. The other was called upon and was asked the same questions. And I had to go through the same performance, and he also was made a prisoner of. Now she says, Have you not another son? When the king began so to shiver and shake and knock his two knees together that he could scarcely stand upon his legs and did not know what to say to her, he was so much frightened. At last a thought came to him to send for his headsman and inquire of him particularly. Did he behead his son or was he alive? He is saved, O king. Then bring him here immediately or else I shall be done for. Two of the fastest horses they had were put in the carriage to go and look for the poor prince. And when they got to the very spot where they had left him, it was the time when the prince was up the tree, getting his watch down and poor Jubal standing a distance off. They cried out to him, had he seen another young man in this wood. Jubal, seeing such a nice carriage, thought something, and did not like to say no, and said yes, and pointed up the tree. And they told him to come down immediately, as there was a young lady in search of him. <laughs> Jubal, did you ever hear such a thing in all your life, my brother? Do you call him your brother? Well, he has been better to me than my brother's. Well, for his kindness, he shall accompany you to the palace and see how things turn out. After they go to the palace, the prince has a good wash and appears before the princess when she asks him, had he ever been at the castle of Malvales? With a smile upon his face, he gives a graceful bow and says, my lady, walk over that handkerchief without stumbling. He walks over it many times and dances upon it and nothing happened to him. She said with a proud and smiling air, that is the young man. And out come the objects exchanged by both of them. Presently, she orders a very large box to be brought in and to be opened. And out come some of the most costly uniforms that were ever worn on an emperor's back. And when he dressed himself up, the king could scarcely look upon him from the dazzling of the gold and diamonds on his coat. He orders his two brothers to be in confinement for a period of time, and before the princess asks him to go with her to her own country, she pays him a visit to the bear's camp, and she makes some very handsome presents for their kindness to the young prince, and she gives Jubal an invitation to go with them, which he accepts, wishes them a hearty farewell for a while, promising to see them all again in some little time. They go back to the king and bid farewell, and tell him not to be so hasty another time to order people to be beheaded before having a proper cause for it. Off they go with all their army with them. But while the soldiers were striking their tents, the prince bethought himself of his Welsh harp, and had it sent for immediately to take with him in a beautiful wooden case. They called to see each of those three brothers whom the prince had to stay with when he was on his way to the castle of Malvales. And I can assure you... When they all got together, they had a very merry time of it, and there we will leave them. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Jael's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales.